Welcome to the Echo Pass, the podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. I'm your host, Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this week we'll be covering Baldur's Gate 3's huge success, Switch 2 rumors are heating up, my current game of the year, and much, much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or to just say hello. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level patron, Zinra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Gaming news, let's get into it. This week we have eight topics. Topic number one, Baldur's Gate 3 gets its full release. Uh, so this week it was, uh, I believe, on Thursday. Now I'm recording this on Saturday. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, uh, 3, made by Larian Studios, uh, finally released after three years of early access. And it's doing pretty good. So its Metacritic score, as of the time I uh, recorded this, was 94. Um, the caveat being that there's only four reviews and all four of the publications I saw, I've never heard of before. So it seems to track though. Uh, I believe the user score is 9.3 and I've not seen anyone serious say they think it's like a bad game. So, well, let's get into that in a minute. First, um, they've been setting records. Uh, so when I typed up the script, they had gone over 600,000 concurrent players on Steam, which put them, I think, at like ninth or 10th on that list uh, of like all time, the most players at one time. And uh, right before I recorded, I checked again and they had crossed 700,000 peak players. That is real good. That is um, if you ever look at the all-time top, there's games like Dota and Counter-Strike and Apex Legends and stuff, which I believe it actually just passed Apex Legends, um, you know, mostly free-to-play games uh, that outperform it. But, you know, this is big um, and obviously like the numbers are going to drop like there's a lot of excitement right now. It's completely deserved. It's a really great game. Um, those numbers are going to drop, but they're going to stay pretty good, I think. Because you have to keep in mind, all of the games on the top played list are mostly free-to-play shooters, competitive shooters of some capacity. So, you know, th this isn't going to hold these numbers forever. That's just not realistic. But that doesn't matter <laughs> because it's a moment uh, that's fun to be a part of. Um. My thoughts on it are, are really complicated. Um, I really like this game. Uh, my, my complication with it is that one of the core parts of the game, the combat, I, I don't like. Partially because I don't understand it. Partially because I'm impatient. It, it's all me reasons. Um, but it's just not my preference. I don't like turn-based combat. And I've, I've given it goes and I've liked it in some aspects. Like, like, um, the um, you know the, the the recent games I've, I've checked out that are turn based like I appreciate it I just can't get into it like Gears Tactics and stuff like that year that was years ago but I, I've always found it to be interesting I'm just too 
I'm a big dumb meathead. I love my American football. I love my shooter games. I love, you know, like instant action and the turn-based thing just, I just don't have the brain for it. It's just not who I am. That said, despite the fact that I don't like the combat, um, I'm learning to tolerate it. Um, I'm getting better at it. I'm learning more about it. I don't know anything about uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know. This is, that is a world I, the most I know about Dungeons and Dragons is from Stranger Things, if I have to be straight up, which is, so it's barely nothing. Uh, it's barely anything. And um, the thing about it is that that's fine. Because I don't know if I'll finish this game. Apparently it's over at least 100 hours um, to complete the main story. Uh, that's not counting all of the side questing and stuff. Um, I don't know if I'm in it for that long haul. I, this is basically my game until Starfield comes out. And, um, and when the Tarkov wipe happens, I'll be splitting time a little bit. But what, what I love about this game is that even though I don't like one of the major parts of it, like it, you know, maybe the biggest aspect of the game, um, I enjoy the exploration. I think the graphics look really nice. I think it's a nice looking game. It's not like ultra modern, like the best looking game I've ever seen, but it's pretty good. Um, especially the animations and stuff, the facial animations of even like the animals, because like my character can talk to animals, um, they, they, and then the druids who can turn into animals, they, they did something they, they, they did their, their animation is so good and expressive and it feels pretty natural. It doesn't have the, uh, the Bethesda kind of, uh, even though I appreciate kind of their the way their games look and dialogue and stuff. It's not very natural, right? Uh, this does a great job with it. It looks so good. Um, the, the writing and the voice acting performances, um, even the voice acting performances of like the random NPC kid you'll talk to once, uh, and, and, and the, 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 the voice acting of that and the, uh, the writing of it, uh, all the way to your companions who you talk to all the time. They're just, they're so good. They're just so, so good. Um, they're very natural. They're funny. They're serious. They're scary. It, it's just, it, it runs the whole gamut. Um, the, it's just the, uh, the writing and the, in the voice and the delivery of the lines are so good. All the voice actors, especially of the main characters and the main companions and stuff so far, I'm only, I've played like 12 hours, I think. Uh, but that's been uh, two characters. That was probably about eight hours that I've deleted and I'm not doing them anymore. And then the one I just restarted last night. Um, so I'm not really that far in, but I, it doesn't matter. I, I know how I feel, right? Obviously I can't comment on like the end of the game or anything yet, but I will eventually, hopefully, but like, it's not just the writing and the delivery of the voice actors. It's just the way that you can see friendships and relationships and rivalries um, are spawning and branching off from these dialogue trees. And in those three playthroughs I've had, even though I deleted the first two, uh, this third character I've made, I'm getting like way different results, even in just the first couple hours of the game, which then just makes me realize that the, the, the branching narrative here must just be insane. Like it, it, this must be a game that you could literally play 50 times and get genuinely unique 
playthroughs uh, where, you know, I mean, if you know me and you've been paying attention to my content, I've played the Mass Effect trilogy uh, since the, the, the Legendary Edition came out in 2021. I've now played it probably 20 times through all the way on PC and uh, Xbox. And and even on my on my current playthrough, I'm on the 19th or 20th playthrough. I'm still catching some unique dialogue here and there that I've never seen before. But it's the, the game's playing out the same way every time, for the most part. And this isn't like that. And I'm not saying one's better or worse. Um, I can play the entire trilogy of Mass Effect in like half the time it's going to take to do one, you know, one playthrough of this game. And, and they're, they're just different games, right? But it's just um, the way that it's just it's really cool. I, I love the the interactions and the exploration and the the trippy stuff you roll up on and the weird, crazy sandbox stuff that you have access to when it comes to environmental storytelling, when using the environment during combat, uh, finding little details or, or saying just the right thing or being in the right place at the right time for this event or whatever. The, the Just the insane amount of open worldness of this, like true open worldness of this, where you can do whatever you want and you can solve things in ways that maybe the devs didn't even consider at the time. It's just, it's so good that even though I despise one of the big parts of the game, the combat, I can't stay away. I, all I want to do is play this game. And, uh, and it's, and it's so awesome. It, it's, that's so cool. Um, the development of this game has been interesting. I don't know exactly when it started. Uh, if it began early access three about three years ago uh, in 2020, I imagine they were in pre-production and even you know development of the game for at least two, three, four, maybe five years before that. And so now you're looking at you know this is you know probably the sixth, seventh, eighth year of development of this game, and then it finally releases. And I had heard people talking about it over the last few years, especially in the last year. Of people talking about how you know how great it is and um, i believe the early access only had um access to act one uh but then you know you there's people i, I saw people talking about it, who played act one in early access who have played like three or four hundred hours of the early access which is crazy and it it makes you realize why in so many ways the game feels so polished and, and everything does feel really good because they've had three years of of playtesting by by people who paid full price for this game three years ago uh, or less, and it's just it just it's something I said on Twitter. Uh, I think this game will be a game of the year candidate. I, I think there's a lot of hype right now. There's a lot of excitement. Maybe that will die down towards the end of the year. You have Tears of the Kingdom that people loved. You had Final Fantasy 16. You still have Starfield coming, which is the game I'm still the most excited about. Maybe even games like, um, you know, like Spider-Man 2 or some games I don't necessarily think reach up there. Hi-Fi Rush, Resident Evil 4 Remake, Dead Space Remake. Um, but this game, man, the, the hype that it's getting and the impact it's making, especially for a genre that is obviously popular, but maybe isn't like, you know, mainstream, right? Uh, or at least not in the sense that you think of maybe even like, like more traditional Western RPGs like the Dragon Ages and the Witcher and stuff like that. Um, or the Call of Duties and, and the shooting games, you know. Uh, this game may not have that appeal even after this big moment of success, but it's definitely made an impact. And like, 
I know people are going to cling to Tears. What's interesting to me is that all of the talk I've heard about Tears of the Kingdom is, you know, some people like the story and there's like, there's a lot of aspects of that game that I think are just fine from what I've seen. Um, but it's the creativity and it's the mechanics of the game and it's the uh, how how solid it is. And um, that seems like what people really, really love about Tears of the Kingdom. And you're and that's here, too. And arguably, it seems like it's even more. De- like it, there's even more to it. And it looks 100 times better. And it's, it's available to everyone, not just people who have switches and have to use really old hardware. And there's like it's I think it's going to be really interesting around game of the year time. We're at, we're going to have to wait and see what Starfield looks like, too, um, in that. I th- it feels like a lot of the pros people speak of when they talk about Tears of the Kingdom. You can also say about Baldur's Gate three. And some of those would actually probably maybe even lean towards Baldur's Gate when it comes to which one is subjectively better it's obviously all subjective we can't you know these aren't objective things like there may be you can't even say like graphically Baldur's Gate 3 is better objectively because there's some people who really like the way that tears looks you know when it comes to performance and and you know you're comparing games to two very different art styles and and things like that but it doesn't matter one of the things I said is that I think Baldur's Gate 3 has immediately shoved itself into the top five maybe top three games of the year depending on who you talk to um that i love it despite the fact that i can't stand the combat i will ignore that because i want to learn more about the characters i want to romance people i want to learn more about the combat and get better at it even if i don't prefer it um i, I want to explore this whole crazy map in this world i want to find out more about the story of trying to get this thing out of my head uh and all my companions I want to see the crazy decisions I make that seem mundane and lead to someone dying. Um, one of the main characters in the game, uh, in, the, in a playthrough I've deleted, I killed because they did something to me in the first like 60 minutes that, of that playthrough. And they're on the cover. <laughs> like this, this character is like one of the fully voiced, like, you know, well-known voice actors. Like this, this person isn't just like some random NPC. Like, it's so cool. I know I'm kind of scattered with this because I'm I'm struggling to keep it together, but it's just it's a really cool game. I'm really happy it exists. And then the final thing I said in that tweet was that it um it, it's just this game, Baldur's Gate 3, has the most has the feeling of a game that just has the most love, like not just poured over it or poured into it. It's like they took gigantic cartoonish syringes and and put all their love into that syringe and jammed it into this game and just pushed it all in. And then just did that over and over. Like this game, it just has so much heart is what I would say. Now, a conversation I've been seeing coming up, and I'll kind of wrap up this this conversation with this, is I've seen a lot of like, well, every other game developer and publisher needs to take notice. This is how you do it. And that's fair. I think you've got um, Dragon Age Dreadwolf developers playing this game right now being like, oh, man, our game is not like this. And it doesn't need to be. Their game can be different. You know, Dragon Age is a different kind of game. Um, But man, they could take some inspiration, I bet. And you've got those Witcher developers, you know, working on that next game being like, oh, man, like this. We don't do what this is doing. This is amazing. 
and you've got you know like the next mass effect and then in the fable games and you know all of these big western rpgs that are getting worked on and are going to be coming out in the next four five six years uh especially the ones that are four five six years away are probably watching looking at this game and playing this game being like oh we gotta do this like we we gotta take some inspiration from this and that and and no one's gonna recreate it this game isn't for everyone you know it's for a lot of people apparently but it's just it's this is a moment where i think you know like like when breath of the wild came out that changed game development you know you saw in the years after that especially open world games ones that knew what they were doing taking from that formula not copying breath of the wild exactly besides that one ubisoft game which was fine it was still really good but like you know breath of the wild was a game that change the way games are made at least in that genre and tears of the kingdom probably is too but what's so wild about it is to have a game like baldur's gate 3 come out just a few months later that also is probably a game like, like that at least for western you know rpg type games um probably for a lot of games i i have to imagine that even that call of duty uh, you know, developer who's working on, who's playing this game, even, you know, that Matt Madden developer who's playing this game, you know, while they can't you know necessarily directly take the lessons from this game and implement it to theirs, they may at least just be inspired by it. Like, man, this is how good games can be. Maybe the game I'm working on, we can do this one step further. Um, and then that comes to that conversation of like, you know, all of this talk about how, you know, games, you know, are co that come out unfinished and we've been dealing with a lot of that recently, um, whether it's, you know, performance wise, they come out unfinished, whether it's um, story wise, it's kind of lackluster, whether the, the worlds don't have enough detail to them or the there's not enough, you know, fun to be found in some of these games. It's just, you know, that conversation is tough because every every studio, every developer, every publisher, they have different goals, right? Like the type of game that Larian Studios made here isn't the type of game that every studio wants to make, right? Like it's cool that they've been able to pump eight, you know, maybe nine, maybe 10 years of time into this game. Um, I've seen this kind of weird, uh, uh, like kind of aura that people, that this like pluck, this plucky little indie studio made this game. I'm pretty sure Larian has like multiple studios all over the world. Like this isn't, some tiny developer these guys are a full-scale triple-a developer who just happens to I, I think be an indie or a self-publishing studio so let's not you know mix up the fact that this isn't some like five-person team putting out this like insane project this is a full-size triple-a and likely well-funded studio um that seems to be kind of taking more of the rockstar approach or the um, bethesda approach and games that to say like yeah it's just gonna take us we're gonna we're gonna release like one game per generation um and and and, and it it looks like it's paying off now the unique thing here was the early access for the last three years and how that seemingly helped a lot with them figuring out how to make the game better and and, and more approachable and and honestly be kind of a three-year marketing campaign to a point you know a lot of people know about this game because it was in development for so long and because people were able to touch it and see it evolve and develop and stuff like that so Baldur's gate 3 really 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 good game um not not a game this isn't gonna get me into these type of games um 
if you've been around a while, you know I don't like high fantasy games. I don't like medieval setting games. I don't like turn-based games. I don't like magic and, and, and stuff. But this one got me, um, and, and that's really cool. So um, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, though, I think Larian should be super proud. I think uh, this game is going to be obviously insanely successful. I, I just really hope people take these conversations that have been kind of almost like degrading of other games and devs and try to spin it into a positive thing and hoping that, you know, games and devs are inspired by this game and try to take something from it that can make whatever games they're working on even better. Story number two, we have the Nintendo Switch 2 placeholder name. Uh, rumors are heating up pretty hard. So um, there were some reports by some kind of reliable, but, you know, maybe less well-known or kind of not really like industry sources that uh, the next switch console or the next nintendo main console will be coming out in 2024 and then vgc and, and some of these outlets that are concerned like more reliable or whatever they are all kind of coming out with the same info and it seems like it's probably going to be uh, potentially revealed this year i believe that nintendo is supposed to be at pax i believe um i think it's pax west and they're and they're already scheduled to have their own event um like in not at pax but adjacent and now even more so that seems that we could be probably looking at at least like a preview of the next console if not a full reveal and announcement of when it's coming out if you haven't paid much attention to nintendo over the last so many years you'll you may not know that uh, the way they've been doing things is like completely the opposite of Sony and Microsoft when it comes to the console uh, situation. Uh, they're to the point where they're like headline games are getting finished and then sitting on a shelf for potentially years. Uh, the Metroid, I think it was Metroid Prime remaster, uh, that Advance Wars game, now it got delayed for like because of the Ukraine war, at least partially. But Nintendo has this situation where their gaming pipeline is really reliable and is so flush with games that they can literally sit on games for years and just decide when they come out and release them at times that they believe are optimal for the best sales and you know on the other side where you have sony and microsoft and all the third party uh games and studios you know putting stuff out early uh after it's been delayed multiple times and just scrambling to put out games that you know they can kind of try to draw people to their platform with you've got nintendo plucking the way there with an eight-year-old console that is really bad you know like hardware wise is outdated and underpowered and uh pretty mediocre uh it was it was outdated when it released it's 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 um it's a it's a really interesting console that it's it's i think it's close to so like 130 million units or something something crazy and um and it doesn't matter because they, they have good games and they put them out consistently and they appeal to everyone, you know, to every single demographic Nintendo appeals to. So, you know, this new console is going to be huge. I know that there were a lot of people, including myself, who were a little curious and we still don't know about what this hardware is going to be that a lot of people were worried that, you know, the, the Wii was such a success uh, and then the Wii U came out and it was a huge bomb and then the Switch came out. And then I, I know a lot of people for you know months, if not years at this point, have been saying, like, if Nintendo's smart, they're just going to make the Switch 2, and it's just going to be more powerful. It's just going to be better. It's going to be the Switch, but better. 
but I know that I can tell from even Nintendo fans, there's been anxiety about like, oh god, I hope they don't try to do something stupid. They, you know, come out with like a VR console or, 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 or try to do something to completely change the formula from the Switch. Now, obviously, I'm expecting the sequel to have some gimmicks and or maybe some unique features and and such to to set itself apart, but from the hardware leaks that have come out and some of the speculation from that it seems like most people at this point are just expecting it to be just much much more powerful hardware now the most recent rumors i believe have been saying that they think it's going to be around the power of like a ps4 pro or an xbox one x uh you know that may kind of make you furrow your brow a little bit and not and feel like well that's weird that those are those are old consoles that's only as powerful as the last gen uh, of the other consoles but um, the thing you have to think about is that it's probably going to be another handheld. Uh, it's not going to be shooting for 4K graphics. And, um, you know, especially if it's on like a seven, eight inch screen or something, that power can can do a lot with, you know, if you're looking for maybe 1080p, um, uh, you know, gra- you know uh, resolution and stuff like that. So um, there, there's also the factor in that they're the processor and the GPU, the graphics processor um, are going to be NVIDIA. And that means that it's going to have DLSS. And if you know anything about PC stuff that's going on right now, you'll know that that DLSS uh, hardware is pretty impressive, especially in its current iteration. And what it can essentially do is take a game that's running at 30 frames, which is relatively easy for most hardware now, and basically AI generate and insert a frame between those 30 frames each one of them to make it look like it's 60 frames even though the game is only running at 30 it's it's um it's a pretty effective technology and um in the times i've used it in some of the games i play with my nvidia gpu um it's pretty impressive it has some downsides and if you're if you have a discerning eye you may be able to tell that there's something kind of funky going on with it but overall it's really impressive and i think that uh, when this hardware comes out, it's probably going to be pretty relevant from day one, just the hardware. But in the sixth, seventh, maybe eighth year of this new set of hardware, that DLSS will be able to pull some of its weight and make some of the games either still 60 frames that it's just, you know, typically barely get 30. Or if they start putting out games that the system can hardware wise only do 20 you know, 15, 20 FPS, it can make it look like it's at least 30 and make it playable. So um, I'll be really curious to how that plays out and how that is going to impact the, you know, the the generations going forward. It's, you know, Nintendo has always been, especially with the Switch, been pretty happy to not get all of the third party games that, you know, the, the Xbox and the PlayStation get that they're always fighting over, right? Um, you know, you don't see that many of those games come out on Switch. And when you do, it's often being um, streamed, uh, even though their internet services are like kind of legendarily bad. Um, and, and it seems like it's for most people a not ideal, but acceptable resolution to that. Or you see people them, you know, finding ways to, uh, I think it is The Witcher 3 that I think works, you know, natively on the switch and it's like not the worst experience ever um i think you're gonna see at least at the beginning of this next hardware uh iteration for nintendo i think you're gonna see um them be able to have a lot more of these third-party studios and and have at least a little more parody for at least a little while uh there so you know 
this is what I've been waiting for to finally get a Nintendo console. Um, I expect to get whatever this new one is, either from the little one to kind of get into gaming, or I mean, it very well could be, um, you know, for me quite a bit as well, or even my wife. Uh, the one big thing, uh, and the last thing I'll say about the story is the anxiety I've seen around this is that there's a lot of people already predicting that Nintendo is not going to make this console backwards compatible. And that um, the, the way they've been doing this with the Switch is that uh, I think every month or every few months, some games from the old consoles get ported up to the Switch. And even though it really seems like the this this current gen of consoles are the ones that finally fully embrace backwards compatibility, or at least Xbox did a really good job of it um, with, with their backwards compatibility and you know free Xbox Series X and S upgrades from the last gen and stuff like that. Sony had some weirdness at the beginning and still does some kind of weird stuff uh, with that, but it's mostly fine. Um, it really the, the 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 people who I believe are reliable with this stuff. Um, have been talking pretty bluntly about that they think there's a pretty good chance this next nintendo console is not backwards compatible and you're gonna have to wait for games to get ported up so that would be wild but people will do it people will mumble and groan for a minute and then they'll go buy five of those consoles over the next eight years and they'll buy all the games again and they'll get hyped when those games get ported up that's just the way it's that's the way it is they know their market story number three uh people are under hyping starfield and that may be a good thing so this is something i actually talked about in that i've noticed that um you, and i i don't know if it's because it's um you know people who typically be fans are excited about this who are on you know maybe playstation or are kind of downplaying it uh, whether there's just too many good games that have come out this year and people are like finding it hard to focus um, or whether people are kind of, you know, Fallout 76 wasn't very good when it released. And uh, I, I think people kind of undersell Fallout 4 as well. Uh, I know it's not the most beloved game in that franchise, even though it reviewed extremely well. And it's a game I personally love. I think it's amazing. Um, it, for whatever reason, Starfield seems like it's a little under the radar. Now, as much as it can be, it's a new IP from Bethesda. Uh, and it's one of their games that they're, you know, the one of the games, you know, the, the game they'll release this generation, right? So I'm not saying it has no hype, but I know someone like me, like I'm giddy as all get out. Uh, every now and then I even go back and watch, uh, you know, from, from this, this Xbox showcase over the summer, uh, that, you know, presentation they gave that showed off some of the stuff that you're going to get to do. And then most recently they had those little short stories that um, got posted on YouTube that I think were kind of a preview of the types of like side stories we're going to run across uh, and stuff. Um, like I'm insanely hyped. And, and, and my thing is, is that even though I think, you know, the, the attention is a little underwhelming, I, I really do believe it's probably a good thing in the long run. Um, I think people have high expectations, even if hype is low, but I think the lack of like the 24 seven gaming news cycle constantly talking about Starfield will allow people to kind of still come into it with like, a fresh mind right without you know their ex ex expectations being too high they should be high but maybe not over the top um the one thing i do think is interesting and obviously this is only a new part of this conversation is i really wonder how this baldur's gate 3 release is going to impact it 
you know, it's a month out from Starfield. And so some of that hype is going to, you know, fade a little bit over the next month. Um, but now I think people are almost expecting more from Starfield. I know I am, uh, even though they are still very different games in, in, in most ways. Um, I, I really think it's going to kind of, it's going to be interesting to look back and how Baldur's Gate's release uh, impacted the impact of Starfield, uh, which is funny because uh, in a rare move, Baldur's Gate 3, its release date got moved up like a month uh, a while ago uh, to release and get out of Starfield's way. Uh, which, funny enough, it may have actually had the opposite. It may end up having the opposite effect in some capacity. Now, on PlayStation 5, Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out the same day as Starfield. So Sony definitely seems to have done some maneuvering there to have some kind of counter messaging uh, to the Starfield release to say, and now they're Sony's probably happy as can be right now because Starfield's going to come out, PC and Xbox players are going to be going crazy over it. But now Sony does at least say, like, hey, that game that had 700,000 people play in it uh, the day or two after release uh, a month ago, well, it's available with us now, and it's not on Xbox. Um, that whole saga is kind of weird. We've already talked about that. That has deepened a little bit uh, in that um, it's, it's Steam Deck compatible now, and, and you're telling me that they can't get it to work on the Series S. Anyways, this is about Starfield. Um, I, I think it's okay that Starfield seems like it's flying in a little bit under the radar. I think that's going to change over the next couple of weeks. I suspect we're about to see a bunch of more of those shorts, probably Todd Howard doing a bunch of talking, uh, maybe some more gameplay. I know they're supposed to have some kind of feature at Gamescom, and so which is coming up. It's about a week before the release of the game. There was some controversy with that, which they are not going to have a floor demo where you can play Starfield at Gamescom. Um, and so obviously all of the expected people were you know up in arms about that, even though they you know are are not fans of you know are not gonna be playing starfield they just you know want something to dunk on but i don't think starfield's really a game you can do like a 20 minute demo of i i think it would leave a lot to to be desired i think starfield's a game that you kind of need to dive into uh, and 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 i think that it wouldn't work well as a floor demo my last bit about starfield is i did get contacted uh from bethesda i reached out asked for a um an early access code to review it they responded and gave me the link to the form to request that review. I haven't heard anything yet. Supposedly there are review copies out there already and there are people reviewing it and playing it. Um, if I get this opportunity, I doubt I'll be able to confirm it, uh, but hopefully I do. It'd be, it'd be Obviously this would be a really cool game to get early access to and get to have a day one review out there for, um, or at least a preview uh, or in progress thoughts video um but you know be on the lookout for that hopefully that comes through then jedi survivor uh, got some weird news this week so we were just talking about that uh in the Baldur's gate 3 story about how uh, games come out maybe too early or unfinished even though they're really really good uh, jedi survivor which is my current game of the year still We'll see if Baldur's Gate bumps it. I can almost guarantee Starfield will, but still going to be one of my top three or four games of the year um, is coming to the last gen systems. Now, I believe at one point that was the intent and then they changed it and it was only coming to the Series X and S and the PlayStation 5 and obviously PC. Um, so this is a weird announcement. Um, 
you know, neither Sony nor Microsoft are still making their, their last gen consoles. Obviously, Sony has this hilariously large, um, you know, install base of PS4s out there, even though at least well, I think it's like 30 million of those are probably PlayStation 5s now. Um, but that still leaves, you know, like, you know, 60, 70 million consoles uh, potential out there that, you know, that have owners who could want to play Jedi Survivor. Um, and then, you know, Xbox, you know, only sold about half of the same, but that's still a lot of hardware out there that, uh, you know, you, you could be shooting for that player base. Um, this is just interesting because after the story came out, I fired up Survivor um, to see if they had like fully fixed up my Series X version. And it's like fine, but it still doesn't run like perfectly uh, in the frame rate mode or the performance mode. Uh, or the, the the quality mode or the performance mode. Both are like, okay, but they're definitely not like pristine. And so like, I don't know how they're gonna make this work on the last gen systems because it kind of still doesn't really work on the current gen system. So, um, I mean, I'm happy that there's gonna be a bunch of people who haven't been able to upgrade yet who are gonna get to play this amazing game. Starfield or, uh, man. Jedi Survivor is really, really good, um, especially the story. But the gameplay is, and I've told some other people that it's Jedi Survivor is probably my favorite platformer ever that I've ever played. Now, I'm not a huge Mario fan and, you know, a lot of these like classic uh, platformer games. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But Jedi Survivor is such a good platforming game. And um, and I'm really glad that there's people who are going to get to play it. I have no idea how they're going to make that work. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, so check out this ad from Anchor and we will be right back. So as you heard, if you did, the ad was actually from Spotify for broad podcasters. My bad. It's still Anchor in my own head. Uh, my next uh, little bit here is my game of the year so far. So I've actually already talked about this. So Jedi Survivor is my current game of the year still. I, I love the characters. I love the story. I love the relationships there that they showed. Uh, I loved where, you know, we are, we know there's already another game coming and the series being developed right now. Um, I cannot wait to see where that goes, where they left off this last one. Um, yeah, the performance things were an issue. And, and I think for the, the greater game of the year people, that's going to keep it off of a serious game of the year list. Um, but I think it'll be top five or top 10 for most people. Um, it's so good. Um, other games that are obviously up there, Diablo four, Baldur's Gate three. Um, you know, these are my favorites. Um, I think Baldur's Gate may be sneaking into that top spot for a lot of people right now. Um, it may even be doing it for me. Um, Hi-Fi Rush is the little engine that could that man, that game just came out too early in the year and um it's 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 hot drop status of having no marketing before really really hurt it and uh it's such a good game it's one of the most fun games i've ever played both you know, in all aspects the gameplay is fun the graphics are insane the characters are so cool the story is great it's uh it's just it's such a good game and you know one of the things about hi-fi rush that i'll forever be angry about is that they should have shadow dropped uh, Redfall. Just been like, okay, it's out now. Sorry, it's not very good. And then they should have had like a three month marketing campaign for Hi-Fi Rush the way they did for Redfall. 
um, Redfall that man, it, like they really messed up by not flipping their marketing strategies on those two games. Because if Redfall would have gotten hot dropped, and I think people would have been like, oh, okay, they're hot dropping this because it's not very good, whatever. And then Hi-Fi Rush would have had this really cool, and they could have even been fairly cryptic about it. But any kind of marketing push on that, I think would have made that game so much bigger because it's just so good. And then maybe let it come out in the summer or something. Uh, and then just like poop out Redfall earlier in the year and just get past it. That's not what happened. I think that's going to be Hi-Fi Rush's demise. Um, I, I, again, I think Hi-Fi Rush is going to be in that top three, that top five, at least that top ten for a lot and maybe most people um, who played it. But I just um, it's not going to have the staying power. Uh, a game that I am going to name off as my indie game of the year, almost certainly. I don't consider like Baldur's Gate an indie game, even though it technically is a uh, Planet of Lana. Maybe like a, a indie experience or of the year or whatever. That Planet of Lana game. It was a Game Pass game for Xbox. Um, the, the gameplay was good, not spectacular. It wasn't the best game I've ever played. The puzzles were relatively simple and easy to figure out. It's just the graphics were just so pretty and, and they weren't like the most high fidelity thing ever, but they just looked really good. The aesthetic was really, really beautiful. The soundtrack of Planet of Lana is insane. The story that you're told without any words ever. Um, purely environmentally and in and, and other in other ways is intriguing is is really cool and it, man, it had me just wanting to play it non-stop and and get to the end so i could learn more and i still have questions um there were a couple moments there were like probably four or five moments in that game that if you ask me for my top 50 gaming moments ever at least maybe they'd all be on there there's one in particular uh, there's this moment where you're running across the desert and the visuals and the music, the, the lyrics of the music are just perfect. And this game is just so wonderful. And um, I just it's not going to win any game of the years. It's it, it's not. I understand. It's not that. But man, it's so good. Uh, Planet of Lana is going to be in my top five, um, which is a pretty beefy top five this year uh because you're talking about like i don't consider the dead space remake or resident evil 4 remakes even though they were substantial legit full-on remakes i just especially this year i just don't think you can put those games in the consideration it, it just isn't it's not fair to all the new games that came out in my opinion and um those are still great and then for me starfield is incoming starfield is almost certainly unless it's a complete failure. Starfield could come out and be like a 75 out of 100 for reviewers. I'm probably still gonna make it my game of the year. Like if that game does 10% of what I'm hoping it does, it'll be my game of the year. Um, and I bet it does more than that. Um, Starfield is just, uh, you know, while Baldur's Gate 3 has kind of shown me like, wow, like this is wild what these developers were able to do with this game. Um, Starfield is still that one that it has that first person combat or at least that like non-turn based combat it has this giant you know world and this giant galaxy that you can explore it's got the space sci-fi stuff it's not a high fantasy medieval set game it's gonna scratch my mass effect itch uh that's not gonna get scratched by bioware for at least three or three or four years you know um starfield just i'm really excited 
that, that's a game that I expect to end up being my game of the year, um, but we'll see. Now, obviously, there's games that I've left off my little list here that, you know, most people would really be upset about Final Fantasy 16, Tears of the Kingdom, Pikmin 4, Spider-Man 2, uh, even the uh, that Metroid Prime remaster. I, I just I don't have a Switch or a PlayStation. I've I've watched playthroughs of Final Fantasy and Tears of the Kingdom. And like those are games that I absolutely like. I understand why Tears of the Kingdom is going to sweep the awards this year. I understand why Final Final Fantasy 16 is probably going to pull a few of the lesser, quote unquote, smaller Game of the Year awards. Um, I just neither of those convinces me to want to buy their the systems they're on to play them, and so. Uh, this is like with that moment where I have to say, like, I know I'm wrong, at least like subjectively here for a lot of people, a lot of people like Tears of the Kingdom is going to win most of the Game of the Year awards, as well as probably some other ones. Um, Final, Final Fantasy 16 is going to be up there, too, for probably like cinematics and writing and gameplay and stuff like that. Uh, this is just an insanely stacked year. It just is. Uh, and then you have games like Pikmin 4, which I've seen people have been really, really enjoying, and the Spider-Man 2. Um, I, I don't I don't get it for that game. That game seems not like a big step from the first one, even though the first one was so good that it wasn't even like a game of the year contender. And this and in and, and sequels, like like when Ragnarok did so well in the awards last year. Uh, and, 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 you know, sequels typically don't have that same push and Ragnarok did because they genuinely took, you know, the God of War 2018 and really, you know, even though it was still basically a giant DLC, they did enough to be like, yeah, that perfect game. Well, we just did it a little bit better. And that was enough. I don't think that's the situation Spider-Man is in. I think Spider-Man two is going to come out and it's going to get a bunch of like, 75 to 80s and that's awesome a a 70 something meta score is really good uh and if it gets up into the 80s that's even better i just don't see spider-man 2 being this like 95 metacritic you know darling that you know shuts everyone up about you know starfield and Baldur's gate 3 and you know tears of the kingdom uh but maybe i'm wrong i don't know we'll have to wait and see but my game of the year so far is Jedi Survivor. Baldur's Gate 3 is nipping at the heels and Starfield looms and will likely take over. Uh, the next story is uh, that The Bear, the Hulu TV show, makes me want a Division 3 in Chicago. I made this tweet uh, last week. I uh, maybe maybe I watched uh, all of The Bear season one and two last weekend and loved it it was so good it was such a good show but a big part of that is a lot of the b-roll in that game was showing um just parts of chicago the game takes place or the game the the show takes place in chicago and it wasn't showing you like the beachfront and all the big buildings at least not mostly it was showing a lot of the side streets and the subways and stuff like that and i've said this for years but um i really want the division three to return to winter time um even though i like the summer setting of division two a lot of fans want preferred the winter of the first game, and I did in, in, in a lot of ways. I really liked the winter aesthetic in the first game. 
Um, and while I appreciate the, the summer aesthetic and two, it'd be cool to go back to the winter aesthetic, especially in this like insanely upgraded, uh, snowdrop engine on these, this new hardware. Um, now, but hold on that. What was interesting about when I said that was a lot of people agreeing. I know some people from Chicago, uh, and a lot of people being like, oh yeah, snow, that'd be great. Um, it was funny that there were some people being like, there's no way division three is happening, bro. They can barely get out content for Division 2. And that, like, that comment just, like, makes me want to just take an ice pick and just jam it into my head. <laughs> because it's, like, it just shows such a fundamental... Like, this person felt like they knew enough about the situation to say, like, no, there's no way that game can happen. It, with the reason being that, that they've struggled with DLC content or with uh, live service content for 2. But what that fundamentally does is lets you know that that person doesn't understand that the team that made division two doesn't work on the game and hasn't since warlords of new york they are making star wars the majority of them like the vast majority of them and the people who have been doing live service on division two since warlords of new york started off as this minuscule team that is growing a little bit but is still a small development team for any game and so what you what you know, the, the thought process here is that this person's like, yeah, those people, you know, the people making Division 2 right now can't make Division 3. Well, yeah, they can't. Of course they can't. You know, the, the Division 3, if it happens, and I think it will eventually, again, hold that thought, is it, going to take hundreds and maybe over a thousand devs to make Division 3 the way that Division 2 did. And I assume Division 1 did as well. The issue is, is timing. And, you know, Division 2 came out fairly quickly after Division 1. Division 1 came out in 2016, I believe. And Division 2 came out in 2019, you know, three years later. Uh, well, as it stands right now, uh, we're past four years since Division 2 came out. And my completely un... I don't know anything, actually. But the things I can pick up is that they aren't even like there, there is there's no way anyone's working on division three right now in that the earliest that could happen th there could be pre-production going on from you know they could be doing some pre-production on it that wouldn't surprise me but you know that's you know not what we think of you know what the the, the average gamer thinks of as as game development as a game in development they think of the production and I don't think production on Division 3 could even start until the Star Wars game comes out. The Star Wars game, we don't have a date yet. I'm assuming it's going to be first quarter of 2024, so not that far away. But it's almost certainly going to need at least some support for a while from that team. So maybe until next summer or, or fall. And then they would finally be able to potentially start working on Division 3. Well... If a Division 3 is what I think it's going to be, and it's potentially going to be because it's going to come out so many years after 2, uh, potentially being like a light reboot, or at least a, you know, a, a much bigger, you know, a, a much more demanding game to make, where Division 2 was kind of like, you know, I don't want to say lightly, but it, it, a lightly upgraded version of 1, where they added a bunch of stuff and improved a lot of stuff, but it was kind of a light upgrade. I imagine this next game would be a huge upgrade because the snowdrop engine has advanced so much and things like that, that, you know, so say they start making division three in 2024, 
I mean, you're looking at 2027 or eight until you get that game. And that's almost 10 years since the last one. And it's probably on the precipice of the next gen of consoles. Uh, And so maybe they wait for that. So maybe it doesn't come out for another year or two because they wait for whatever that next, you know, that next bump in hardware is going to be pretty big or they do what a lot of games do and they release at the end of console generation because you have all of the lessons of how to fully utilize that current gen or the last gen of consoles. And so maybe we see it, you know, in the current gen, but I, I, I think a division three happens eventually. I think it ends up being at least a light reboot. Maybe we see it. I don't think looter shooters are going to be as popular five or six years from now as they are now. Um, and because I think that's already waning. You see Destiny 2 struggling. Um, you see, you know, Division 2 have a dedicated fan base, but not being the biggest game in the world. Um, and you don't see a lot of looter shooters coming out. You see a lot of extraction games coming out, which ironically, the Division 1 had uh, with survival and even just the DZ uh, mechanic uh, many years ago. All, you know, it, it was ahead of the game. They just didn't realize it. But I think a Division 3 happens. I really want to see it in Chicago in the winter. Um, I think those things will happen. I don't know about Chicago, but I think we're in for a long wait. I, I, I don't. Um, I've seen people say like, oh, I think that I bet they're working on Division 3 right now and it's going to come out in like a year or two. It's just if you pay attention to Massive and have even just the vaguest idea of their teams, you've got a big team on Avatar. That game comes out at the end of this year and it's supposed to be a live service game. You've got a big team on Star Wars, which will likely be a it it comes out, maybe some DLC, and then it's not supposed to be live service, but that's still a year away ish you've got a team on snowdrop which is probably substantial because now other studios are using snowdrop um i don't know if ubisoft still does uh, or if massive still does connect or not i don't think they do um but then you have the team on division two which sounds like it's growing so it's a sizable team i mean between all of those you're talking about probably seven or eight hundred people and as far as we know that's about the size of their studio um, I believe this Eden studio they moved into was technically designed to handle around a thousand devs, but I assume they aren't at full capacity. And so there just really isn't room for anyone to be making division three right now. Like I said, definitely chances that they're maybe doing pre-production or some early work on it, but I, I, I think it's far away. I think it's coming. And I, I really, uh, if I just make a fun post about saying, man, it would be cool if they did this. You might not be not be looking for old for old dummy what's your face coming in and be like well actually i don't think they're gonna do it maybe they won't i could be wrong i don't think i am next story xbox began selling replacement parts for base and elite controllers um this is just a cool little story i think um with like the nintendo switch joy cons and even the um the playstation uh the what is it the the current uh controller it's not the dual sense um oh whatever it is uh their, their newest controller which people love uh but also talk about how terrible the batteries are and how quickly they go bad and stuff um and even you know drift and stuff on the xbox controllers especially the elite having issues 
you don't see, uh, well, I mean, you, you actively saw Nintendo pushing back on even being responsible to fix you know, their, their Joy-Con drift issues. Um, you, you definitely don't see PlayStation making it easier to fix your own controllers and mostly replacing the battery on, on their controllers. Uh, and I don't even know if anyone owns their like elite controller. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people do, but I don't hear anyone talk about it. And I've heard its battery is even worse than the base controller. Um, and then even the Xbox, you know, has its issues. Well, this development means that on the Xbox accessory store, you can buy every part of a controller, all of the innards of it, uh, the even the PCB, like even like the, the circuit board and all of that stuff you can just buy. And if you're technically inclined enough, you can replace those things. And so like an example I have, if you're watching the video of the podcast, I have this 20th anniversary controller that if you look closely, it's got like the transparent like kind of like the old school transparent uh, faceplate, um, and uh, it's got the rubber grips on the back, which I really like. A lot of the controllers have the rubber grips out here as well on the outside. Um, that but I have mine have it on the inside. That that controller, if you try to buy it right now, they're the only examples I could find were on like eBay for like two hundred plus dollars. I wish I wouldn't have used it so much because I have used it a ton, and so it's not like a collector's item anymore. But I love that controller. If it starts to get drift, if something, if the buttons stop working, if something goes wrong, um, without going to like a third party seller, I can go straight to Xbox now and fix that thing. And I probably will. Uh, that controller is my favorite controller I've ever owned. And, um, and I, I love this. This is the, the more, you know, all of these right to repair legislation things that are happening where people are you know kind of sick of companies expecting us to just throw away our tech every three years and replace it by uh, paying for it it's wasteful it's stupid it's overly expensive this stuff is really good even if they're just doing it for a pr move i don't care that's awesome this is really good for everyone especially elite owners who have to constantly constantly fix those things for whatever reason then the final story today is the wandering village impression. So if you check out my YouTube, you can find a, uh, a live stream uh, replay of VOD uh, where I streamed a game called uh, the wandering village. It's on Xbox game pass. Uh, you can also buy it, I believe on steam and stuff like that. And the general idea is that it is a little city builder, a city management game, resource management, all that. Uh, but the, the twist is that the place that you're building your little settlement is on the back of this gigantic walking creature and the way that creature behaves impacts your environment and impacts your city. And so it passes by resource nodes that if you build the right buildings, you can send people off to collect and come back. Uh, it, uh, you can even use apparatuses that you can build to you know tell the creature to lay down and rest or to turn right or left at a junction uh and and all of these things and it's just it's really cool it has a very very cool design and aesthetic it's very pretty um it has a really good tutorial to kind of give you all of the tools you need to know to play this game on your own um it, it just had uh it has little story bits and stuff that pop up it was just a really relaxing city builder game. And if that's what you're in for, if you're looking for a game to kind of kick back and enjoy like that, I highly, highly suggest uh, The Wandering Village. And if you want to see my playthrough and have some laughs with us uh, and, and kind of see what I did with that, go to youtube.com slash bond diesel and you can, uh, uh, it should be pretty high up 
uh, it should be the most recent VOD in there, and you can uh, you can see what that was all about. So good game, go check it out. We're gonna move on to listener questions. If you have your own question or topic, please be sure to use the Google form questionnaire that you can find over at my Twitter. You can ask in Discord anything you want uh, in the YouTube comments if that's where you're watching, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Bond Diesel or at the EchoCast. Yes, it's Twitter, it's not X, I will never call it that because I'm a baby. Uh, you can hit up any of those places to give me uh, your questions or your topics or ideas for next week's show. This week we had a question from Neuronix that says, um, how does a game uh, have to, let's see, how does a game have to, how good does a game have to be to overcome your initial reservations and drag you in anyway? And does that happen very often? So this was obviously a topical question in, in our Discord and on my social media. I've been talking a lot about Baldur's Gate 3. Um, and I assume this is mostly about that. This doesn't happen to me super often. I, I know what I'm about. I know the kind of games I enjoy. Um, to a point, like when I played Mass Effect for the first time, I was never really into these kind of RPGs. Like there's like really story heavy RPGs. I was always more of the Fallout type of guy, which is obviously a story intense uh, franchise, but it's different than Mass Effect. They're, they're different types of games. Um, so Mass Effect was definitely an example of that. Obviously, Baldur's Gate 3 has been an example of that. Um, to a point, The Division was like that. I, I I don't like looter shooters. I actually think they suck because uh, I especially fr get frustrated with The Division because I think The Division has a world and a story and lore that absolutely deserves a really serious single player game to tell these stories and show us this stuff. Um, a, a like I, I've always dreamed of a The Last of Us style division game because looter shooters suck at telling stories. I know people love Destiny's stories, I guess. It's sci-fi straight to video sci-fi channel crap in my opinion. It's so bad. The characters are so cheesy and lame. I just, I think that Looter shooters don't have to have good stories because that's not, not why most people are playing them. But the, the Division is an example of a game that I think really it's a real bummer that it's a looter shooter to me because it's wasting. And they've done a good job of trying to put out a good story and it has a good story, but it could be so much better in a different genre. So the Division is definitely one of those games. So some of the games I like the most ever have been the type that have kind of broken my initial reservations, but it's pretty rare. It doesn't happen a lot. Uh, and then uh, Threescamo uh, asks, what are your top three favorite Mass Effect races? Um, of ones that we've actually interacted with, I like... Let's see, let's see, what are my top three? That doesn't mean I have to like them. Maybe the ones I think are like the most interesting or the most notable. Um, so obviously, number one for me is Corians. I, I think that um, their their whole conflict with the Geth in Mass Effect One and Two, I think it kind of gets ruined in Three. Um, but their whole deal with that and the way that they're treated by the rest of the galaxy, despite having their own history, and even you know, like in that game, the alien that you bring back from cryo sleep from fifty thousand years earlier still knows who they are. They're obviously a notable species in the history of the galaxy. Um, I think Corians are definitely my number one, obviously, and they're, you know, contain my favorite 
uh, you know, romance in the game. Um, the second one would probably be, I think the Turians, because they kind of seem like um, one of the potential futures of humans in the way that they deal with their hierarchies and their power structures and their like kind of focus on military and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if humans in the in the Mass Effect uh, world uh, or, or you know galaxy or reality will become that in the long term. I think they could. I, I, I think that humans and Turians always kind of reminded me of each other of if Turians were humans, they'd be seen as like fascist. And uh, because they aren't humans and because they have super cool bro Garrus on their side, people kind of give them a break. But if you if you really think about the Turians closer, uh, they would probably not be looked at in a very good light by a lot of people, but they got cool Garrus, bro, and that makes people like them. And then my final one is probably the Salarians, because where so many of the species like the Asari um, are known for their long lifespans and being very powerful and smart. Uh, and even the humans and Corians and Turians all having like relatively long lifespans, 100, 150 years. Well, having these, the Salarians be these like hyper intelligent, high strung, uh, manipulative, you know, creatures based on the fact that they only live for like 30 years um, is really interesting. Because there's conversations of like when Liara talks to Shepard in the first game, she says that humans seem high strung and uh, impulsive and stuff. And, and Shepard says, well, we don't live as long as your people do, where, you know, Asari can live a, over a thousand years. So a hundred years to an Asari is a long time, but it's not that long of a time for them. Whereas for humans, it's most of their life. And so Asari may see humans as being scrambling and, and rushing, but it's because they're working at different speeds. Well, then you break it down to Salarians, which have a infinitely smaller lifespan than Asari and even a significantly shorter lifespan than humans. I think it explains a lot of their behaviors in the trilogy and even in Andromeda, where you just have to realize that these they're 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 only going to be around as long as it takes for humans, especially that live 150 years to get to get into adulthood. You know, Salarians are dying when humans are just becoming adults, basically. And so I, I find the way that they have all of the species act differently, partially based on their lifespans is really interesting. And I think the Salarians are a good example of that. So off the top of my head, that that's my top three list. Uh, great questions from both of you. Um, like I said, if you have any of your own for future shows, please uh, get into any of my socials or the Discord and use one of the ways that I give out uh, to give me questions uh, or topics or whatever for next week. And that's where we're going to wrap this baby up. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm happy to get any feedback. Like I said before, any of those uh, the social media places or the Discord, please let me know. Um, hit me up uh, if you have any if you want to review the show, please check it out on iTunes and Spotify. You can review the show on either one of those places. I would really appreciate that. Uh, you can find me as Bond Diesel all over the internet, including Twitter, Threads, YouTube, Instagram, and over on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Diesel. I will be streaming more often soon, and I tend to stream at least once or twice a week right now. If you want to support my content, please check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Uh, you can subscribe over on Twitch, especially if you have a free Amazon Prime subscription, or you can check out my merch uh, at the link in the description or 
on my link tree link, which is also down there. That's all I have for this one. So until next time. Thank you.